All right, let's talk Romans. I have finally got some good news for you today. So we, we have, we're four weeks into this study, and it's been nothing but bad news so far because all we've covered is Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, and most of chapter 3. And Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 is nothing but bad news. Um, we are all sinners. We are all lost. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. No one is righteous. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. No one will be declared righteous by observing the rules. No one will be declared righteous based on the kind of church they go to. No one's declared righteous based upon the kind of creed they follow or the type of denomination they belong to. No one's declared righteous by based on the kind of worship they do. No one's declared righteous based on what they do. What we do. I don't care how good or moral you think you are. Number one, Romans 1 says, you're not nearly as moral as you think you are, and you're not nearly as good as you think you are. But even if you are good enough, even if you do think you're moral, well, Romans 2 says, don't be so judgmental and condemning and, and self-righteous about that stuff. So we're all lost. That's the bad news. We're all lost. Even if we think we're good, we're still not good enough to make ourselves righteous in God's sight. But it shifts today, and we get some good news. And it shifts with two words. Paul says at the beginning of uh, verse 21, He says, but now, those two little words signal a shift in the letter. And this is uh, the most critical part of the entire letter. Martin Luther in his commentary on Romans said, this is the heartbeat of the epistle right here. I mean, this this is the core thesis that Paul writes, these next seven to eight verses right here. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what? Law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain, this is his thesis sentence right here, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Well, not really. Basically all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say we all start out as sinners. Whoops. I started reading verse 9. I started thinking, wait a minute. He, he went back to the bad news. I, I, I went too far. This is why I don't drive my own slides, Parker. Uh, this, is, this is why I try not to drive my own slides. Let's stop at verse 30 right there. So verse 30, stop right there. Um, this is good news. It, it doesn't sound as good as we think it would sound because Paul still uses a lot of legal language, and he talks about justification and righteousness, and, you know, he, Paul's... Paul gets rather complex in his arguments, and he's still talking about Jewish-Gentile stuff, and he's still talking about Jews and Gentiles in relation to the law, and that doesn't really apply to us as much today, so we kind of get lost in all that stuff. But it is good news. What I want to do is I want to show you the good news in another version, 
And that's what that was intended to be. So I want to I show you the good news in another version because my father-in-law introduced this to me. Um, when I kicked off Romans, I confessed that it was not my favorite book. And that's why it took me 18 years to do a series on it. Um, but it wasn't because it's just, it gets deep and complex. And, you know, there's a lot of arguments to kind of work through and all that kind of stuff. And I was talking to Terry about it. And he said, I kind of felt the same way about Romans until several years ago. We went to a, a lectureship in... Uh, at Pepperdine University, and this new translation of the Bible had just been released, and it was written by a pastor. Uh, Eugene Peterson had done a new translation of the Bible, and it was called The Message. And I just thought, well, that's interesting. And I bought a copy of it, but on the plane ride home, I read the book of Romans, and for the first time, it just clicked. It was like, oh, that's what, yeah, that's what he's saying. Like, I, I suddenly, it just hit. And so after he said that to me, I went back and, and referenced the message, especially on this text right here, because this is the core text of the letter. So I went back and referenced the message, and it does. It really clicks. And so I wanna, I'm going to go back just a little bit to the bad news, just a little while, to, to get the context here. So this is from the message in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, where does that put us? Do we Jews get any break, better break than the others? Remember, the Jews thought they had a better break than the others because they're the people of God. They're circumcised. They have the law. They're a little bit better than the Gentile believers. And Paul says, no, you're not any better than the Gentile believers. All of us, insiders and outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say we all start out as sinners. Scriptures leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score. Nobody alert for God. They've all taken wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. And he summarizes all of that. He quotes all of these Old Testament passages. He summarizes all of that and says, this makes it clear, doesn't it? That whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us, to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're all sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. And so again, he's writing this to the Jewish believers. But I have been in this series trying to take that, what he's written to the Jewish believers in first century Rome, and say that applies equally to modern-day believers in 21st century America because he's addressing the religious hypocrisy of the Jewish believers. 2,000 years later, we still got a religious hypocrisy problem. So, I mean, that's, that, that's, that still exists. And he's saying, you know, this, we're all the same. We are all sinners. I don't care if you think your sin is just a little bit better looking than somebody else's sin or you think that your sin is a little more hidden than somebody else's sin or, or you think your sin is somehow better than somebody else's sin, as if there was rankings to that. We're all sinners. We're all in the same sinking boat. It's like one passenger on the Titanic saying to another group of passengers on the Titanic, well, you're in sinking faster than our end. Who cares? <laughs> At the end, it's all sinking. You know, our, our, our side of the boat looks a little bit better than your side of the boat. It doesn't matter. At the end, we're all sinking. But now, now here's the good news. Here's the good news. Make sure. In our time, in our time, something new has been added. And what Moses and the prophet witnessed all those years ago has happened. The God setting things right for us that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but everyone who believes in him. For there's no difference between us and them in this. And since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and prove that we're utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. 
He got us out of the mess we're in. Now, this is the heart. This is not just the heart of Romans. This is the heart of Christianity. I, at the beginning of the series, I said this is like Christianity for dummies. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the core of what Christians believe. He got us out of the mess we're in. All of us are in. And he restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. Now, this is where he, he, he hits us. So where does that leave our proud insider claims and counterclaims? Canceled? Yes, canceled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. And we finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting him set the pace, not proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. And where does that leave our proud claim of having a corner on God? Also canceled. God is the God of outsiders as well as insiders. How could it be otherwise since there's only one God? God set right all who welcome his action and enter into it, both those who follow our religious system and those who have never heard of our religion. Now, I intentionally took a couple words out of this one, so forgive me. There's editing software on our computer. But I intentionally took out the word Jewish here. Because actually what the message says is Jewish insiders and Gentile outsiders. I took that out because I wanted us to feel the weight and the punch of what Paul is saying here. Because I think you know, a lot of times we think of Christians, modern-day Christians, think of ourselves as the, the insiders. We think of ourselves as the ones having a corner on God. We think of ourselves as, as have, being the one, you know, we, we know who God is. We're his people. We follow him better than other people. And what fascinates me constantly with Scripture is how something written 2,000 years ago to another group of people living in another part of the world still applies and is still relevant to us living in the 21st century today. It constantly fascinates me that Scripture is still relevant. And uh, if you ask me why is Scripture relevant, I'd say, well, that's because God never changes. And that's true. God doesn't change. But you know what else it is? You know why it's so relevant? Because people don't change either. We still sin just as much as before. We're still just as righteous as before. We're still just as hypocritical as before. Pe people don't change. We're still trying to run the parade. We still think that we got a corner on God. We still make, you know, insider claims. We still try to put people into us and them versus categories, into saints and sinners versus categories. And, and Paul's trying to say, you're all in the same sinking boat, but you're all saved by the same God. That's the good news. So quit trying to compare yourself. You're one group of sinners. Quit trying to compare you to yourself to another group of sinners and think that you're somehow better than them or that you somehow have a better claim on God you're all in the same boat and until you realize that you can't receive the good news you receive the bad news before you receive the good news and he's trying to get the Jewish people to believe the bad news and I'm trying to get modern-day Christians to believe the bad news and it's it's just hard for us because we just I don't know there's a certain amount of arrogance about us and the longer we've been in church the more likely we are to have that kind of arrogance because we just think I got the I can figure it out Number one, I'm not nearly as bad as those people are, but even if, I, if things do get bad, I can figure it out. I just need more willpower, more time, more rules, more good preaching. You know, I, just, just, I can figure it out. Just give me time. I, I saw a great uh, example of this the other night. I want to 
I had an opportunity to go to a fundraiser. This was two weeks ago. I went to a fundraiser in Hornwall, and um, this was, uh, it was for a, something called the Hope Center in Hornwall, which is uh, an addiction treatment center. that They've got a men and women center that they've started in Hornwall. It was actually started by a judge, and I knew a little bit of that story, but I didn't know the full story to want the fundraiser. Judge Mike Henson uh, in Hornwald, he, he went around to the churches and started meeting with pastors and said, guys, we got to do something. It's like we got, we're losing our kids. It's like kids are dying in our community, and I'm sitting on the bench as a judge, and I'm sentencing kids to jail that aren't criminals, they're addicts. And he's like, we got to do something. And I, I'm asking the church to step up. And he, so he went around, met with all these pastors, and asked the church to step up. And they did. Like, they formed a coalition of pastors. They started meeting together. And that's how they ended up with uh, the Hope Center. And Jeff Gandy at Blondie Church of God was one of the kind of the, the leaders of that group. And Blondie Church of God, that's where that is. That's at their event center. And uh, he kind of took over uh, leading that ministry. And, and they... You know, they're raising money for it, and they do testimonies, because that's what you do at these, these fundraisers. And, you know, I went, and, uh, you know, I kept getting stuff in my eye as they were doing the testimonies, because, I mean, powerful, powerful. But there was one, and I don't know her name, but it was a mother and her son, and I would guess the son was in his 30s. And I'm just saying, I guess, because the son never spoke. He just stood beside his mom through the whole time with big old crocodile tears in his eyes the whole time. And his mom was talking. And she was telling the story of her son's addiction and his battle with addiction. And it had been going on for, you know, 15 years. And she's like, we did everything we knew to do. We, we read every book. He went to this center and this center and this treatment and this treatment. And, and, and we did everything we were supposed to do. And we, you know, we did the tough love thing. And, and we did the you can't come on our property and you can't be in our house. And you know, we, we took all his pictures off the wall. It was like we were just completely at a wit's end because we did everything we knew to do. And we were good church-going people. So we knew that we could figure this out if we just had enough time. If we just had enough rule power, if we just put the right rules in place, if we just put the right steps in place, we knew that we could figure this out on our own. And he just kept using. And he just kept using. And she said, we just knew that any day, when we get a phone call, any day it's going to be a, an OD phone call. We just, we're waiting on the phone call. And um, not because he wanted to harm himself, but because today people don't know what they're taking. I mean, that's the scary, with the, with the OD stuff, it's not because people are, are want to harm themselves. They don't want to OD. They want to get high. They don't want to OD. And but they got fentanyl and all that stuff. You don't know what you're taking. She's like, I just any day it's going to happen. And she said she woke up one morning and finally decided, you know what? The, us trying to fix it ourselves, this ain't working. Like we, we've, we're doing everything we know to do. We've read every book about it, consulted every expert. This ain't working. And she said, I just decided I, I'm just, I'm just going to give up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to God. And she said, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wake up every morning and pray. He's yours. He's broken. I'm broken. That was a realization she came to. It wasn't just that he was broken, but I'm broken. And I'm just every day I'm just gonna I'm gonna give him to God. Every day I'm just handing him over to God. Like he's yours, God. Do whatever you want with him. Please save him. Please rescue him. Please wake him up. Do whatever it takes. She started praying that prayer, do whatever it takes. Do not pray that prayer unless you're ready for God to do whatever it takes, because that's a scary prayer. But you know when you pray that prayer? When, you get, when you've lost, every other option is gone. Every other, you're, you're out of hope. That's when you pray that prayer. And she was praying that prayer, just do whatever it takes. And so God answered her prayer. You know what happened to him? He got arrested. 
That was God's answer to the prayer. He got arrested. And uh, in the back seat of that police car, he gave his life to God. And a couple of days later, his girlfriend bailed him out of jail. And uh, it was Christmas. And they went and spent Christmas together. And then he came to his mom, who he hadn't had a relationship with in a long time because he'd been kicked out of the house and all this stuff. And he came to his mom and he, he said, I, I need help. I am lost. I need help. I do not know what to do. And that's anybody that's been in recovery knows that's the first step, right? You can't, you can't get help until you realize that you need help. So all arrogance is gone, all pretension has gone, all of it's gone, and he just said, I need help. And so they got on the Internet and they started Googling addiction treatment, and they found this one in, in Hornwald. They weren't from Hornwald, but they found this Hope Center thing in Hornwald, and she went down and she met with the pastor of it, and um, this was my favorite part of the testimony, and I wish she was here to say it. Um, Blondie's an Assembly of God church. She was Church of Christ. And so she said, you know, when I walked into that, she said, you guys know that a church Christ person would not be caught dead in an Assembly of God church. Like, you know that. And I'm going to meet with this. And I know this is Assembly of God church, but I'm a, I don't know what to do anymore. My son. And so I went and I met with Pastor Gandhi. And you know what her main concern was? The first meeting with Pastor Gandhi. Are y'all going to change the way my boy worships? That was her main concern. And she, she kind of talked about that. Like, y'all going to change the, boy, the way my boy worships. And, and I wish, I, so much I wish I'd got a chance to talk to her after it was over. Because I understand that mentality. I understand that, you know, like, I mean, her son's dying. He's drowning. And the concern is, well, what color is the life preserver that's being thrown to him? You know, like, what, you know, what? And, and, and she's, she's over it, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm, I can tell the story because she got over it. Uh, her son is now married. He's got a job. He's nine months sober. He's going to graduate Hope Center in about three months, and uh, he's got a church family, and he's, he's on the right path. He's, he's back on the right path, clean and sober again for the first time in his life, really. And, um, and she's changed her mind, too, because you know what that lady's doing? She's, she's teaching Bible classes at a church she wasn't going to be caught dead in. She, she's going to Hope Center and teaching Bible classes for the Women's Center there. And, and, and I just love that story because it illustrates so much about what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans. What Paul's trying to tell us is in Romans is you're all lost. Every single one of you. The son who's an addict who's using for 15 years, he's lost. The sanctimonious mother that's been thinking she had all the answers and she could figure it out and her church was better than somebody else's church, she's just as lost. And until everybody realizes they're lost, and I, I, I'm not... I'm not putting the word saint. She said that in her testimony. She said Jeff Gandy should have slapped my son. You know, anyway. Um, you know, it's, 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 we're all lost. And until we figure that out, and until we focus on the things, because here's what Romans 3 does. What Romans 3 is trying to do is to make the important important. To make the important important. Uh, Tim Cottom, who's a friend of my dad's, was at that event, and I was talking to Tim about it. And Tim knows my background and all that. And I was like, I love that woman's testimony. I was talking about it. And he said, listen, brother. He said, you know what happened when the Hope Center came into our church? The religion left. Because we got focused on helping people. And the religion walked out the door. The religion went somewhere else. He said, we just got focused on helping people. And when you're focused on helping people, you ain't got time to quabble over a lot of that religious stuff. Because you're just focused on saving people. And I was thinking of that analogy driving home. I'd be like, can you imagine 
Like if I was drowning, I was literally drowning, you're, you're drowning. Let's say you're drowning and you are going under the water for the last time and you're gasping for air and you know that if you go under the water this time, you're not going to make it out. And somebody, you, you pop up out of the water and there's somebody standing on the shore. As soon as you pop up out of the water, somebody's standing on the shore. Oh, thank goodness, somebody's there to save me and they got a life preserver and they're getting ready to throw it out. And just before they throw it out, you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, what do you think about the doctrine of once saved, always saved? Like, what's your church's position on that? Before you throw me the lifesaver, because I don't want to grab the wrong lifesaver, you know, or, or now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do, do you guys use drums in worship? Because I just need to know, because we're, we're a piano church. We don't use drums. Or, this is even worse, what have you got in a hypothetical debate about what point somebody was saved when they got the life? Now, do you believe that I'm saved when I grab the lifesaver, or do you believe I'm saved when I finally get towed ashore? Because that matter, you know, what, do you believe the moment of salvation happens here, or does it happen here, or does it happen here? And what would you say? It don't matter. Just throw me a lifesaver and get me to shore. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. The when, you, when you are drowning, it really has the tendency, or you're dying, it really has a tendency to focus in on what's most important. And that's what Romans try, 3 is trying to do. Paul's trying to get the Jewish believers to focus in on what's most important. This is the heart of the letter. This is the heart of Christianity. This is what matters most. All the stuff that we love to fuss and argue about, all the hypotheticals that we love to argue about, all the qualifiers that we like to put on Christians, that's not what matters. This is what matters. And I want to give you just a few takeaways and, um, from Paul in Romans chapter 3. And I, I put these in a list form because, like, this is, the, this is the heart of Christianity. This is the core of Christianity. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you should understand this. If you're new or you're kind of checking out the claims or don't know about it, I mean, this is, this is the heartbeat of what Christianity is all about. This is, what, this is what we believe. Number one, God did for us what we were incapable of doing. And Paul says that all throughout Romans 3. But God did for us what we were incapable of doing. We are incapable of making ourselves righteous. Righteous means to, to, to be morally right or morally justified in the sight of God, and we are incapable of doing that. We are incapable of making ourselves righteous. And so God did something for us that we are not able to do by ourselves. He did it through Jesus Christ. It's through the sacrifice of the cross that God made us righteous. Jesus took our sin upon himself, and he died as a sacrifice of our sin, and he did that so that we could be declared righteous. We were the guilty, Jesus was the innocent, but the innocent took upon the sins of the guilty, and he made us righteous. Paul described this really beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Number three, this is based on nothing we do. Now wait a minute, didn't you say that with number one? I did, we gotta say it twice. We got to say it three, four, or five times because we have this weird tendency to get, you know, kind of arrogant. You know, like when we do something good, you know what I mean? Like, like, like you wash the dishes and, you know, you're sitting at home and you're watching the TV and your wife comes in and the sink's empty and uh, she doesn't say anything about it. She just walks and sits down and like, like did, you not, did you not notice the sink was empty? Did you not? You know, like we want to thank you for that and for doing what we, like we, because we want, we think that when we do something good, hey, we're, we're, you know, we get a little arrogant about it when we do something good. So we got to keep being reminded, like, this is based on nothing we do. This is not, there's nothing we do that makes us right in God's sight. No matter how good we think we are doing it, it is, it is all based on what God does. Richard Rohr, uh, read a quote from him this week that said, 
Uh, God doesn't love us because we're good. God loves us because he's good. So this is based on what God does, not what we do. Number four, we accept it through faith. We accept it through faith. Um, Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited means I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's a free gift of God. And I accept the gift by doing A, B, C, D, E, F. No. I accept the gift through faith. I I accept the gift by believing and trusting Jesus as my Savior. Uh, Paul, again, in another place, says, uh, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. And then the last truth I'll make there, this was always his plan. Old Testament, New Testament, this was always his plan. Uh, All of Romans chapter 4, which I know I didn't preach this morning, is an illustration of Romans chapter 3. He uses Abraham as the illustration, and he uses Abraham to say, hey, Jewish people, you go back to Abraham as the father of your faith, guess what? Why was Abraham right? Because he was a Jew? Because he was circumcised? Because he obeyed the law? Because he did this? Because he did this? No, Abraham was right because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he jumps ahead and he says, and guess what? Everybody who believes God will be credited righteousness in the same way. So that not only those who are of the law, but those who are also, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is father of us all. And that's a really powerful phrase. I know that that doesn't mean much to us today, but that's a really powerful phrase to a group of people who had always been told, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you're not quite there. You're, yeah, you're a part of the church, but you're not really part of the church. I mean, the Gentile believers have been told that all their life. And he says, yeah, guess what? You are, you are lost. You are for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody knows that one, right? Everybody's seen that one all our lives. We've seen that one. That's in Romans 3.23. I was taught to memorize Romans 3.23 in seminary. I had to memorize Romans 3.23. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, period. Look at the end of the phrase. You see, that's not a period, right? That's, that's not the end of the statement. I hate that the verse ends there. I don't know who decided Romans 3.23 needed to be split up into 23 and 24, but I wish Romans 3.23 would have included the entire sentence and not just half the sentence because for years we as a churches have focused on half the sentence. But a comma, I'm not an English teacher, but a comma means like there's more, doesn't it? it it's like just a pause. And it's not a, like a declaration, like, hey, story's over, period, we're sinners, it's over. It's a pause and there's more to the story. Here's the more to the story. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. I wish somebody had made me memorize Romans 3.24 along with 23 because that's the whole sentence. I'm going to ask the, the band if they can hear me. I'm going to get them to come back out. They're probably wondering if I was going to take all their time. But I'm going to ask the band to come back out. And... Uh, I want us to sing about this. Maybe they can't hear me. There they are. I want us to sing about this as a church as we close today because this is the good news. This is what gives us hope. Who is all in that sentence? Was well, everybody, right? I mean, isn't that what all means? All means all. It's all who believe in Jesus. All who believe in Jesus are made right in God's sight, justified freely by his grace. And this is the reason that we have hope. And so I want us to, to, to close by singing about this. And if you're a believer and you've been a believer for a long time, I just want you to use this as an opportunity to thank God. So the next five minutes as we sing this song together, just thank God for what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. 
If you're not a believer, then I want you to use the next five minutes to ask, why not? Just why haven't you made that decision yet? Why haven't you accepted the grace? Is it, do you think you're not good enough? Do you think you're too good? You know, what is it? Because we're all in the same boat. And so just use this as an opportunity to think about that and reflect on that. And if you are ready to accept Christ, ready to be baptized, uh, you can use those response cards, those communication cards as a response, or you can catch me or any of our staff after uh, this message. So let's stand together. Stand together. Let me say a word of prayer, and then we'll start this song. God, we thank you for what you teach us through your word. We're thankful that even at our lowest point, uh, you saved us. Your grace was extended to us, and it's nothing that we have done. And so, Father, help us to realize that we are lost, that we are sinners, that we do need help. All of us need help. There's no us versus them. We're all in the same sinking boat. But we thank you for the grace that has been given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's through him that we have hope. Thank you for that hope. It's through his, your Son's name we pray these things. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.